0: There you go. Okay, it's lovely to be here with you all this morning. And um, my name is Liz, and I'm one of the pastors here. And welcome to those of you who are on Zoom as well. Also a warm welcome to visitors. It's lovely to have people joining us from all over the place, so it's so good. And this morning, I'm actually sharing the spot with Jared. So in a moment, Jared will be taking over from me up here. But I wonder if you remember what we talked about last week. We talked about um, asking questions. And lots of conversations, both good conversations and bad conversations, can begin by asking questions. And I encourage you to ask a lot of them, to think about all the hard questions, and to go for it with a humble curiosity, a hunger to learn and to grow. And today, we're going to take that a little bit further and think, where do we want those conversations to take us in our relationship both with God and with people around us, our friends and our neighbors, and co-workers. What do we want from those conversations? And so, as I read for the scriptures for today, first of all, I love those story, that, stories of Moses talking with God and the one today of Moses and his shiny face. And I was thinking about some shiny-faced people who I know. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about some in a moment. But I got thinking about conversations between Moses and God. And I decided to go back and just trace them through Exodus. And I began in Exodus 1, and it all begins with, you know, and the Lord said to Moses. And I, I then began to realize that almost every break in Exodus starts off with, the Lord said to Moses. And how really Exodus is a story of God and Moses' conversations, their relationship, their friendship. I love the way that they both express emotions and actually you see God being kind of angry at times or frustrated and Moses being frustrated and you you hear touches of humor and even kind of playfulness. There's a lovely development of a friendship between Moses and God as you read through the book. And as Moses got closer and closer to God, I think probably with every conversation his face just probably got a little bit shinier, until eventually people were kind of like, we can't actually cope with how much of God's glory you're reflecting at this point. And he then was had to wear a, a, some kind of thing over his face, a mask. You know, hey, who knew? Moses in a mask. But Moses had to shield the glory of God from the people around him. And so then I looked at this passage from Luke with the transfiguration and Jesus taking his friends and going up a mountain, and actually in Mark it says after six days, in Luke it says after eight days, but there's a very real sense that Jesus has been hard at work. Those have been full and busy days of ministry. He's been healing people, preaching, feeding thousands, so, so busy, and now he takes his friends and he does what he loves to do. He goes up a mountain to spend time with God, and he doesn't always take his friends, but I love the fact that he does this on this occasion. And as you read through the story, you get the feeling that the, maybe Peter, James, and John weren't that keen on walking up a mountain first thing in the morning because they, they, they just get tired and they want to have a nap and, and they sort of are doing this kind of pathetic disciple thing of not quite being engaged with all the drama that's going on around them. Because meanwhile, Jesus withdraws a little bit, and then suddenly he's having this conversation with Moses and Elijah. There's this lovely phrase in Luke. It says, they they appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. He was speaking about his departure, which he was about to accomplish. Isn't that lovely, that reminder that Nothing that happened to Jerusalem as he then turned his face to Jerusalem was a mistake or an accident or anything just pre-planned. It was talked through up this mountain. There was a conversation that was going to carry Jesus now through deliberately these steps towards the cross. And Jesus was hungry and thirsty, I suspect, as he went up the mountain to have this engagement with his father. And so then there's this voice that comes from heaven which speaks And the disciples are so completely overwhelmed, it says they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus stoops down and and touches them and says, don't be afraid. He doesn't tell them off for falling asleep. He doesn't tell them off for being absent when they should be present. He doesn't tell them off for, for their weakness or their inadequacy or their lack of attention. He just says, don't be afraid. And he touches them. Now, for those of you who know me, touch is a big thing. So every time I see touch in scripture, I'm just so encouraged by the fact that God has made us sentient beings and that he wants us to be people who touch, to encourage, touch in all ways that are good and healthy. And what you notice with both Moses and Jesus then is that they have these encounters with God and they then head out into the tasks which are ahead of them with confidence. And they know that they are beloved. They know that they are in line and in tracking with what God has called for them in this next step. They are resilient in their ministry because of their intimate relationship with God. Now, for all of us, we know that life wears us down. There are times when we feel so battered and defeated by the things that are going on around us. And this pandemic has left all of us rather soul-weary as well as physically weary. So much has had to happen in our bodies, minds, and spirits. It's just been exhausting. Now, this last week, Amy and Jared and I all got to go on a well, it's called a gathering, actually. A gathering, the Matthew 25 initiative gathering. And this is a gathering of, this time It is 150 people who are all Anglican pr- practitioners of justice and mercy. So there are people who are doing food pantries. There are people who are doing work, rescuing, uh, ministering to refugees on the border. There are people doing immigration legal aid. There are people engaged, thinly spread, 150 people, if you spread them out across America, that's thinly spread people doing work which is hard and intense and complex. And one of the purposes of the gathering is to bring them together so that they will have a moment up the mountain with God. There is so much opportunity for worship, and some of us actually climbed a mountain as well. It was very cold. I didn't fall asleep. There was no likelihood of that because it was freezing but then we came down, but there was this opportunity to gather and to worship together. And that's a critical feature of the Matthew 25 gathering. It's also a critical feature that we hear good theology, that we have grounded in Scripture as we do acts of justice and mercy. But this week, the, this year, the, the theme was building bridges, peacemaking, reconciliation, and conflict resolution based on Christ as the bridge builder. And the call to each one of us is how do we go into our communities to build bridges across divides? And probably all of us can think about where there are divides in our life around us, places of conflict and chasms which separate people. But Christ is the bridge builder who will build the bridge that we can use for peacemaking and reconciliation and conflict resolution. Because we want to say that as Christians and as Anglicans, that we are for justice and mercy. We are for shalom, that we are for bridge building. The missional statement of Matthew 25 includes that we are companioning, that whole idea of coming together and bringing healing through the Holy Spirit, which gives witness to the watching world that longs for hope and wholeness. Works of justice and mercy offer a missional apologetic Engagement in justice and mercy is deeply valued by generations who will lead into the future of the church. And so Matthew 25 exists to strengthen ministries and initiatives among the vulnerable, marginalized and under-resourced, allowing us to move forward in the story of the church and of the ACNA and that is Grounded. And so these are some of the big statements about what this gathering was all about, but really it's about wanting to be in touch with Jesus, who is the bridge builder, and then making sure that we are stepping into that. So those are some of the big statements, but what about the nitty-gritty? And it's the nitty-gritty that I've asked Jared to come and share a little bit about his experience this week at Matthew 25. Jared, come on up. Um, I'll maybe move that back there.
1: Thanks, Liz. So I want to agree with, with Liz uh, that this past week was a real encouragement uh, to be in worship with people who are seeking justice and mercy. It was also a real challenge, to be honest with you. Uh, justice and mercy are hard things. They're not easy to grasp in this world. Um, so I want to share maybe three of those nitty-gritty things, things that I took away from this past week, the ways that they encouraged me, and maybe some of the ways they challenged me, Uh, and offer that to you to reflect on. So the first one um, came from one of our speakers who gave a a couple of different messages throughout the time, Dr. Danny Carroll, who uh, is a professor at Wheaton College. And his takeaway message for us was that Jesus doesn't just save us for ourselves, that we certainly does that. He saves us for the entire world. He spent some time looking at Genesis chapter 12 and the story of God creating humanity and walking with them through their early failures, ultimately up until the moment that he calls Abram, eventually changing his name. He calls Abram out of a place and says to him, you are to go and you will be blessed in order to be a blessing. Your entire mission statement, the beginning of the story of the people of Israel, the nation that God will create, to show his way in the world, is that they are blessed to be a blessing. And that story, starting in Genesis, runs all the way through, all the way through to the Gospels, all the way through to the church, all the way through to us. I was encouraged by that story. A big, long, complicated, sometimes back-looping arc of what God is doing in this world. It's a powerful thing to think about us as receiving that story and stepping into the hard places of this world, uh, journeying with people who have done it before and show a testimony to us and how to do it, um, and a God who wants to complete that. But it's a challenge too. How am I being a blessing? Am I willing to follow the example of Abram, to step, stand up and go somewhere else, and to be in a place that's hard? to be a blessing to others? Something to reflect on. The second thing I want to say is, well, Abram got up and moved. <laughs> We're strangers in a strange land, just like Moses was called to be, just like Jesus was, just like the prophet Elijah. But the story of the people of God is one of, begins with, with migration. It begins with moving and being different somewhere else, uh, going to the land of Canaan. So what does that mean for us? Well, I think it means for us that we need people who are migrants. Uh, We gathered in El Paso, Texas, right on the border, um, spent some time literally just a few feet from the very large uh, border wall that's been built there between the two cities, and it's a stark physical reminder there of the reality of migration and how it affects this world and how it affects us here we spent time with people who are ministering to migrants, those who are dealing with the immigration system in our country, those are desiring to. And it's a testimony, I think, for, for me, an encouragement, that, um, you know, our brothers and sisters who experience migration, they feel out of place sometimes. And they have a gift to give to those of us who maybe don't experience that in our day-to-day life to remind us that we, too, ought to feel out of place because we're reminded that our citizenship is in a a kingdom that's not of this world. And we follow a king who calls us into that. But It's also a challenge. Where where have I become too comfortable? I haven't experienced migration in my life. Where have I become too used to the the kingdom that's around me? And where am I not leaning into following King Jesus? The last thing I wanna share with you is, um, well, I'll just say it this way. Contending for justice and mercy in this world isn't some kind of extra add-on to the way of Jesus. I think the testimony of Matthew 25 in this gathering was to remind us, and I hope to remind all of us in the church, that God loves justice. He calls us to pursue it. Um, When the prophets give the strongest condemnation to the people of Israel, it's mostly because they've ignored the claims of justice and mercy. That's what Jesus says to the religious leaders in his day. So it's an encouragement to me to hear the stories of how so many other Anglicans are showing up in the real mess of their neighbors' lives to bring help and hope as an, insp- as an inspiration and a reminder um, that we love because we've been loved. We give out of what we've received. But it's also a challenge. How can we step closer to that? How do we as a church step closer to those challenges, places where there's brokenness in our world around us? So I'd offer you those three things to recall. Justice and mercy are part of the gospel. We're all strangers in a strange land. And God doesn't just save us for ourselves. He saved us for the whole world. Thanks.
0: Thank you so much, Jared. Plenty to think about there. So I also invite you to just take a moment to think through what the implication of those words are for you. To think perhaps about where there are chasms you could build a bridge over, to think about where you are seeking justice and mercy in the world around us, to think about where you are going to be a bridge builder, and to remember that today, God is reaching out to touch you, to equip you, to say, be bold, be strong, to give you power of the Holy Spirit to go into situations where you don't really know what to do. And he asks you to rely on him. I've been reading this wonderful wonderful book of poetry recently. And I'm going to finish this with a brief poem, um, just about words, authority and power. As a kid, I learned rhymes about sticks and stones. I've broken a few bones in my time, others and mine. My tongue is a minefield. Watch your step or you'll get this work? That's power, dynamis, authority. It was foreign to me that I could use, turn a phrase to do the opposite of devastate, a new kind of power, beautiful dynamism that builds and heals. What kind of word is this? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called us to be bridge builders, that you have called us to use our words and actions to extend your kingdom into this world. Will you help us to pay attention? and to not fall asleep at inappropriate moments, but to be alert to the ways that you are encouraging us, equipping us, and moving us forward. Will you help us to see people around us who are in need of a touch from you? We are so overwhelmingly grateful that you welcome us into your work of bridge building. Teach us how to pay attention. Amen.